Welcome, my name's Jason. We've been coming to this church for a long time, seven years, I don't know, something like that. Love it here. And I am glad to be here with you. I want to give you a little insight into what's happening in my body right now. <laughs> so, as I try to notice what sensations are in my body right now, like I can actually feel my heart beating. You know, so you know your heart beats all the time, but sometimes you really notice when it's beating. And then I've got this like, I don't know, it's like this feeling of openness and then activity in my chest, like things floating around kind of. I think, you know, sometimes people like butterflies, you know, but it doesn't really feel like butterflies. It just feels like, oh. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, I would say, I would call that uh, anxiety, anxiousness. Um, and so I thought that would be a good thing to talk about today. <laughs> Psalm 23 is where we're starting. And I folded it over in my Bible here so I could find it. Psalm 23, this passage is just read all the time all over the place, right? You see it all the time. I used to read it at funerals, actually. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's this one verse in the middle of this that I just want to highlight. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is apparently written by David, King David. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I will fear no evil. Don't you just want to hate this guy? Like, are you kidding me? What? You're walking through the valley of shadow, and you're like, oh, I'm not afraid. No anxiety here, no worry. I get anxious after I blow my nose that I might have these little flecks of white stuff underneath my nose, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to make sure that they're not there. And this guy's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and he fears no evil. I think this psalm, right, is probably aspirational rather than kind of like this is a regular part of his existence because he probably has anxiety. Uh, help me out. I want us to give me some categories of things, some things. You don't have to get too personal, but what kinds of things do you worry about or feel anxious about? What kinds of things, you know, it's like when you think about them, brings up some anxiety. Just give me some categories. What's that? Finances. Finances. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Money. You betcha. Kids. Kids. Oh, my goodness. I was talking with Andrea yesterday, 
I don't remember how we got on this topic, but I said, oh my goodness, can you imagine if we had like 10 or 11 children? How do people survive that? Now, and she was like, well, they have the older ones, help the little ones. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about like, how do you make sure they have food and clothing? How do you survive worrying about every one of those kids? i like, we got three, and somebody's always in a bit of distress, or we're creating it on their behalf, right? Because we're like, <laughs> what if, what if, what if, can you imagine if you've got 11 of them out there? You would never have a moment's peace. Oh, thank you, kids, definitely, no question. Something else. Health. Health, yes, yeah. Am I okay, and how do I feel, and what's going on, and other people's health, and yeah, definitely. Health, good. Society. Society. <laughs> We're going to stop there. Okay, <laughs> moving on, moving on. No, I, you know, this is being broadcast on the internet. I don't want to do harm. Playing sports, yeah. Yeah, anything competitive too, right? Like, or your grades or anything like that. Uh, essentially, you can worry about almost anything. Now, uh, kind of technically, anxiety and worry are probably two slightly different things. They kind of work together. Um, I think it was Judson Brewer who, who first suggested this to me, a book called Unwinding Anxiety, which is actually a very good book. Um, and... Anxiety is kind of that feeling of uneasiness that's in your body, like something's not quite right. And you can have that feeling with nothing specific, kind of general anxiety, right? Uh, but oftentimes, when you get that feeling, it feels yucky enough that you want to do something with that feeling. And one of the things we most often do is we start to worry which is kind of a function of the mind. It's kind of creating scenarios, thinking about things. So if I wake up and I'm like, something doesn't feel right, I'm uneasy, and that feels yucky to me, then I might try to think, well, what am I thinking about? Well, well how's Carter, our youngest? You know, how's, well, what's going on? Is work, is there something going on at work? Oh yeah, well, what if I lose my job? Well, what if, you know, what if this pain in my side doesn't go away? What if this is going on? What if that's going on? And then we start to worry. And it's interesting because it's kind of a little habit feedback loop. It feels a little better for my mind to be entertaining ideas than it does to just sit with that feeling of anxiety. So it's like a little bit of a relief because now I'm thinking about things. And theoretically, the reason the mind does that is so that I might find a solution to the potential problems that may arise. Most of our worrying, though, is not about anything that we could do anything about anyway, like society, for instance. I mean, this is your limited amount of control there. So what we're really doing is amping up our anxiety by worrying. So that's what Judson Brewer's book, Un Unwinding Anxiety, is about, is about like, treating it like a habit uh, and interrupting that habit. And I'll just give you a heads up, one of the two things that I wanted to say today, and one of them is uh, stay with the anxiety instead of running away from it. It's just, it's just a feeling. It's okay. And specifically, maybe notice the sensations that are associated with it, right? Not just the thought patterns, because sometimes we just let our mind run away. Just come back to, 
oh, this is how I'm feeling, and it's okay. So one of the things about worry and anxiety, we get anxious about our anxiety, and it makes it 10 times worse, of course, right? One of the things that's also true about anxiety is that sometimes in church, we kind of think it's wrong to be anxious. At least that was my experience when I was growing up. I thought it was very clear that I should not be anxious. And in fact, there's a reason that I thought that. It's, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Yeah, that's why I thought that, right? That's why I heard these verses over and over again. So Matthew, here's Jesus, right? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. There it is. Uh, <clears throat> I'm a mental health counselor, which you might have guessed already. I used to be a pastor back in the day, and then I went to the fun side of the island, and now I'm a mental health counselor. It's much better. Um, so I feel sorry for Aaron. Every once in a while, I'm like, you know, you should come to the fun side of the island. But I don't want him to, because I like him as my pastor. Um, but uh, I am a mental health counselor, and so this... Uh, one thing I tell couples when I work with couples, and I seldom do because they are such a pain in the rear to have to work, <laughs> much rather work with individuals, but uh, is I tell them to quit texting each other. What the heck are you doing? Are you people insane? Why are you texting each other about anything other than did you pick up the milk or don't know, that's not a good one. Can you pick up milk? That's an okay thing to text. Everything else, like any, because we read other people's words, and we put tone into the words, and we are choosing the tone, and we know what they're really saying. We don't know what they're really saying, and then they know what we're really saying, and it just causes so much disruption. So, I want you to hear how I heard these words from Jesus as a child growing up. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life anyway? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Shame on you. Shame, shame, shame on you. We're worrying. Pathetic, ridiculous. How could you possibly worry? 
I don't know. It's easy. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is what I thought this passage was supposed to be read like. It's a command, right? Don't do it. Shame on you if you do it. It's one of the things you're not supposed to do if you're a good Christian is not worry. So, I thought I didn't worry, basically, hardly ever. I thought I had, like, very little anxiety. And, of course, I was never depressed because that's also bad because, you know, you're going to heaven. So, what are you depressed about? Come on. You shouldn't be depressed. You shouldn't be worried. You shouldn't be anxious, any of those things. Uh, <clears throat> and then, when I was about 30-something, I uh, wanted to take this job. I was offered this job uh, contingent upon a test uh, at Point of Grace Church. And I mentioned that because Sarah's dad used to work there. Um, and in order to get the job, I, I kind of first had to take the MMPI, which is the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. Uh, which is basically, you know, a really long psychological test administered by a, a psychologist to find out <clears throat> whether or not you're a serial killer, essentially, um, or any such thing. You know, and you have serious psychological difficulties. So then I was going to be like an assistant pastor. So the head pastors wanted me to take this test, I guess make sure I wasn't going to show up with a gun at work one day. Um, so I took this test, and, and then they, you know, the psychologist interprets it, then you come back in and they tell you what's going on, and the psychologist said, well, here's, here's what we discover from this test. It, it appears that you're in denial. And I said, no, I'm not. What else are you going to say to that? I would no, no I'm, I'm just, things are good in my life. Because that's what he was saying. It's like, yeah, essentially, you know, you, you, are you the healthiest person in America today? And I'm like, well, you know, I've got this and i got that. And I just got out of the hospital and surgery from my lungs or whatever. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, your scores are really high on like everything's great in your health and all these other things. It was essentially... They're like, yeah, you got more problems probably than you're admitting or that you think you have. You think everything's like great. And later, I came to understand that that was actually quite true. Like my childhood was idyllic. Not so much, right? I mean, it really was good compared, but also I carry garbage from growing up with two imperfect people just like my kids carry garbage from growing up with two imperfect people. Uh, and I was not willing to see it. I couldn't see it. I didn't want to see it because I didn't want to think negative things. I didn't want to be anxious. I didn't want to be low or depressed. didn't want to hold resentment because all those things were wrong. They're bad. Do not do that. Matthew, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Oh, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. Don't you know your father knows that you need all these things? So don't worry. 
you don't have to worry. I just see Jesus like a, like a parent of a four-year-old, you know, who's like hoarding the bread after dinner. And they're like clutching it to their chest. And they're like, I'm taking this to bed with me. <laughs> and, and mommy and daddy come and say, why? No, you don't. No, no, don't take my bread. I need my bread. What am I going to eat in the morning? Oh, Junior, don't worry. Don't worry. We'll take care of you. Right? We'll take care of you. You don't need to worry. Please don't worry. Not because don't worry. Because you don't have to worry. You are loved. We would do everything in the world to make sure that you have something to eat in the morning. Everything we could. You don't have to worry. We will take care of you. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. I think that's the invitation that God gives us, is you don't need to worry, not shame on you for worrying. One other passage in Philippians Chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Paul, in this passage, says, Do not be anxious about anything, which is, once again, like, really? Wow. How in the world do you not be anxious about anything? But I do think, once again, it's this invitation that you don't need to be anxious about anything. But, and here's, here's a bit of, Paul's suggestions, even like, oh, how do we avoid worry? How, do we, how would we not be anxious about things? But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious. Ask for what you want and need from God, and do it with thanksgiving. Like, with thanksgiving, I think, is, is the part of this that I want to encourage us to kind of focus on here. There are two big things that I, that I want to mention today about worry and anxiety. One, don't deny it. Don't feel bad about it. We all experience it. And I think that's why the Bible talks about it, is because God knows that we're going to be anxious about things. And he's inviting us, like his children, to relax and not have to worry about everything and think that it's all up to us. So don't resist and fight against it, pretend it doesn't exist, close our eyes to it, and let it morph into something else. When we are anxious, if we bring judgment against ourselves for being anxious, like, shame on me for being anxious. It really does not help the anxiety go away. <laughs> so so you, you get anxious, just sit with the anxiety. Just notice it. Like every other emotion, you know, it kind of, it'll come up and it kind of crests, kind of like a wave. You just kind of ride the wave. Don't try to bail from it. Just kind of ride it. Let it come through. Don't get anxious about the anxiety and then let it pass. So that's one thing. Second one is this, with thanksgiving. Uh, really beautiful, helpful 
way to deal with what about this and what about this is to remember the things that we have that we are grateful for right now. Uh, in positive psychology, they've done a lot of studies about the power of gratitude. So, like, God knew this long, long ago, but scientists, you know, people studying psychology kind of confirm those things today. The power of being grateful, whether or not you're grateful to God or any other person in particular, you can be an atheist and practice gratitude, and it's actually quite powerful to begin to remember what do I have that I am thankful for? What do I have that's good in my life right now? Because anxiety is all the things that could happen that's bad or worries or difficult things that we're experiencing in our life right now. It's very powerful to remember what's good in my life right now. And there is a, a psychological reason that we need to practice gratitude and it's because your brain is not really wired to notice things that are helping you. Your brain is wired to notice problems and obstacles and things that are in the way. That's what keeps you alive, right? So you're out on the savanna and you're enjoying some nice fruit from the tree and you hear a lion roar out in the distance and you're no longer thinking about the fruit of the tree. You are focused on the lion. And in fact, probably, if you're out there, you're already thinking about the lion because you should be. Because if you want to survive another day, you better be ready if something bad happens. So you're always, the brain is kind of like keyed in in order to survive, right? To like, what's the problem? What's the obstacle? What's in the way? So we're looking for problems. We're focusing on negative things. And when positive things come, we just start to take them for granted very quickly because we're looking for the next obstacle. There's a, uh, a study that was done called the um, Headwinds Tailwinds uh, study. I don't know that's not the correct term, but that was what they were discussing was this very idea. And they said, it's like when you ride your bike and you're riding your bike into the wind and you got the wind in your face and you go out three or four miles, and you're just noticing it every second that that wind is in your face. And you're paddling against it, and it's the only thing you can notice is all that resistance. And then you turn around, and you start home, and the wind is at your back. And for about 30 seconds, you notice that the wind is at your back. And you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm such a good biker. Look at how fast I can go. Uh, and you very quickly, very quickly forget that the wind is at your back because you don't have to pay attention to it anymore. So you quit paying attention to it. So you just, what you're getting help with, what's already assisting you, you don't focus on. You don't think about it. You forget that you have help. You forget you have anything good in your life because you don't have to focus on it. You gotta focus on the problems. So we're always focusing on the negatives. And that's why it's so powerful to have a practice of gratitude. Because we may be like, oh, well, I'm a thankful person. I'm a nice person. You know, I, I try to give thanks. But it's much more powerful if we intentionally like set ourselves the opportunity to practice gratitude regularly, do things with Thanksgiving. 
Uh, so when I suggest a gratitude journal to people that I'm talking to, I'm like, here's the deal, get a journal. Sometimes really more powerful if you, it's more powerful to write it down than just to think of things you're thankful for. So three things every day, put down three things that you are grateful for. Don't repeat them. Ever. Okay, okay, once a year you can start over. All right, we'll give you once a year. Yeah, so by the time you get around a year, you've got a thousand things then, right, that are different, that are different things. You're like, how the heck? So you, once you put my family and my health and, you know, the dog. Uh, no, no, that's not a good one. My cat, maybe. Um, <laughs> once you put down those things, then the next day you're looking at it, you're like, well, I am thankful for my family. Now I have to be a little more specific, like drill down a little bit. Like, well, I'm, I'm specifically thankful for my wife. And then the next day, it's like, well, what about my wife am I thankful for? Well, I'm thankful for my wife's patience with my anxiety. Yes, that's nice. Uh, so what, do I, what else am I thankful for? What, how, so three different things every day. Write them down so that you can keep track so that you have to think of new things. One of the things you're doing is you're tricking your brain because... At the end of the day, if you're trying to find three things to be grateful for, pretty soon it's getting hard. It's easy the first week, second week, third week, fourth week. You're like, oh my goodness, what could I be thankful? Oh, you know, I was getting on the highway and that one person, they let me on, which we don't usually notice. We usually notice the jerk who won't let us on and then we're, we're upset about it. But yeah, that person let me on. And here's the thing, you do that enough times and you get down the road a uh, couple of months and during the day, you are looking for things that you can be grateful for, looking for things that you could write down in your little funny gratitude journal because the dude said, I can only refresh it once a year, so I got to come up with a thousand new things. And it can be really powerful. It's like you train your brain to open your own eyes to the good that's happening around you because there's so much good that's happening around us. Do not worry. You don't need to worry. We don't need to worry. We will worry. It's okay. But it's an invitation. It's an invitation to trust that God knows what we need and that God is caring for us. And it is powerful. If we'll not fight against our anxiety, just notice that's a human thing. We get anxious. Let it come. Let it go. And then practice some gratitude. So a couple of thoughts from God's Word today. Let's pray.